Love makes a person pea-brained, quite literally. P-E-A, while being the tasty vegetable that goes well along with carrots, is also the initials of the drug phenylethylamine, which your brain dumps into your body in heaps when you fall in love with someone. It is a drug, and some people cannot handle their drugs. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are recording at a weird day and time because my power went out the other day. So uh, if we're off kilter, that's why. But maybe we'll be more on than we've ever been before. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> if you haven't listened to the Tiny this week, it's in the main feed as we would do once in a while. You should listen to it. And I have issued a challenge to our listeners. So uh, go forth and find crazy newspaper old-timey newspaper stories. They have to be old-timey. We're not a current events show. I don't know if maybe you've noticed or not. Oh, and I did have a little something from... um, We were informed as to the reasoning behind secretaries uh, of uh, justices not being allowed to be married. Oh. Oh. Let me guess. It's Chris. You are exactly right. He said, next time, just at me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so, um, so secretaries for Supreme Court justices and pretty much all government figures couldn't be married because of security. The idea was that if you were married, and especially if you were a woman, you couldn't be trusted to keep your mouth shut at home. Amber isn't wrong, though. Part of it also was that they could be seen as viable dating since they'd understand the needs of the job. Plus, if you were gay, you could have a male secretary and bang in your office and call it a meet. See Hoover J. Edgar. He was gay? <laughs> it was shocking. Shocking. My God. My God. So, that is the answer to that question. Thank you very much, Chris. Knower of all people and things. <laughs> <laughs> That's not on his business card. It really should be. So, yeah. Um, we found out that. And uh, really quick, let's do Rays of Light, guys. What's keeping you going this week? Uh, Amber. I'll start. Yeah. Uh, it was my birthday. So um, I did work for my birthday, but um, it was actually, it, it was very cute. A lot of my uh, coworkers were deliberately calling or asking to be transferred to me just to wish me a happy birthday. Aww, that's so sweet. <laughs> so it, it was very sweet. Um, so it, it was a pretty good day. Awesome and happy birthday, Amber! I'm actually I'm I'm not acknowledging this year's birthday, um, just because uh, this year sucks, and so mm-hmm. I'm getting a do-over. I think we should all get a do-over. Yeah, my birthday was <laughs> was during the peak and was one of the first like quarantined birthdays, and so that was that was a little rough. But but yeah, it's we'll we'll all get a do-over someday. We'll all have a, a giant epic week-long birthday party for everybody. Yay! Oh. <laughs> I think it needs to happen. So, all right, Scott, Ray of Light. Ooh, new show, uh, Lovecraft Country. Ooh. Really enjoying Lovecraft Country. It's fantastic. I think I've seen that. It's on HBO. 
I believe so. I believe so. It's essentially racism meets H.P. Lovecraft and not the way you were expecting. Hmm. Not the way that it has been for years. <laughs> well, we all know what H.P. Lovecraft's name uh, named his cat, so... Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of racism we expected from Lovecraft. This is racism and Lovecraft in a very different way. Hmm, interesting. My ray of light, um, I had a wonderful wedding anniversary. Uh, and so that is very happy making. And I got a pretty necklace and a pretty ring. And my gifts for him aren't coming until Monday. So, so yeah, that is uh, my ray of light that we had a nice, nice day together. We had some champagne and just celebrated and can't believe that it's been as long as it's been, which I'm not going to specify. So. <laughs> uh oh, someone doesn't want to give away their uh, even even the merest clue to their age. I'm just going to I'm keeping it close to the vest. Uh, but we did we did marry quite young, so it's weird to look back. So. So, yeah, some people who maybe shouldn't have gotten married. Uh, <laughs> now, this is the story of we're going to have three characters here. And, oh, I forgot to ask you guys off the air, so I'll just ask you on the air. If we could try to avoid spoiling who actually dies and who is the killer, because this is one of the cases where you can't, if you don't know, you can't really tell, I feel like. So maybe that could be some fun suspense, maybe. We'll see. I'll try. Hint, everyone dies. <laughs> well, I mean, eventually, yes. Even you do. Look in the mirror, you die. We have three characters here that we're going to be talking about. These people... Francis Rattenberry, George Percy Stoner, <laughs> and Al Alma Victoria Packenham. So let's start with rats. Francis Rattenberry was born in 1867 in Leeds, England. His father was a merchant turned artist and his mother was a mother, I guess, because women in, in the home pretty much all the time then. Now... Pretty early, we're going to do pubs, British pubs, because I love British pub names. So uh, we have some better ones coming up, but there's I, I really wanted to end it with this, the, one particular one. So uh, the Fox and Newt, the Turk's Head, which is not the first time that that name has popped up. And I want to know what is with the British people and the heads of Turkish people that they end up in their pub names. It's very strange. The White Swan, Boring. A, nation, Boring. A, nation, a nation of shopkeepers. See, that's not right out of a Monty Python skit. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Uh, Horse and Trumpet Hotel. They have a shenanigans there, which is apparently a chain and Irish themed. So it's, it's you know, we did have a shenanigans here, but ours was just a, a, a bar way back in the day. And my absolute favorite the editor's draft. Ooh. Ooh yes. I like that. I like I that. I know, right? That's that that is the bar where I would be drinking. That is absolutely the bar where I'm drinking. So back to Francis Rattenberry. He went to Leeds Grammar School and he did well. And then he was on to Yorkshire College. Now he wasn't really formally trained in architecture. It was more, you know, an apprenticeship. And I did do some looking because that, that would change over the course of his career, whether or not you could or you, you actually went for formal training or just did the apprenticeship thing. It, the training started to be more the norm over his career. 
the first architectural school in the UK that was part of a university and had officially validated degrees was the School of Architecture in Liverpool. And the Royal Academy did have some architectural lectures and maybe a program that had been going on for quite a while, as far as I can tell, but it's a little little hard to suss out. Uh, but he could have gone, you know, he could have gone to France and gone to the uh, Ecole des Beaux-Arts, uh, which they had an architecture division that went, went back hundreds of years. So, you know, that would have been an option. Uh, but he did an apprenticeship. He did have kind of an in there. His uncle had a quite prestigious company. And so he got into that and was an apprentice there. In 1890, he won something called the Sloan Medallion. But I can't find any information about that that isn't from pre-2017, where it says the Sloan Medallion was first awarded. So that, what the hell? That just seems like the Sloan Medallion. That just seems like something he... He lied about on his resume. His buddy Sloan gave him a quarter, and a recipient of the Sloan Medallion. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it definitely is interesting and weird. So it would be funny if he made it up, and then a hundred and twenty-seven years later, they actually instituted it. But it is it is named after an architect named Sloan, from what I could tell. So it's a strange, little weird problem in the research. I have no idea. Then, uh, because of that, he got to build the Cleckheaton Town Hall, which you think, oh, a town hall, okay, you know, no, this is kind of fancy. <laughs> Look nice. And then a recession hits, and he had been kind of eyeing Canada for a long time, so he's like, what? now seems like a good time, so he goes, and he ends up in British Columbia working in Vancouver. Now, this is a good choice because British Columbia was at the time fairly new. So it, somebody involved in building, well, when you're starting up a new province, a new place, that person is going to have lots of opportunity because you need architects. So that's likely the reason why he went. And he got in right on the ground floor. There was this competition to design the British Columbia Parliament buildings that were located in Victoria. It's just and this huge, huge mural of bad teeth. <laughs> Alienate all the listeners, Scott. Absolutely. And underneath the words... International alienation. <laughs> and underneath the words, what? I'll have you! <laughs> so I'm going to quote the uh, Dictionary of Canadian Biography on his design style. Quote, Rattenberry's winning design reflected his solid training in architectural structure, space planning, and Western European architectural history, especially in the adaptation of historical motifs to new types of buildings. His technical capabilities are evident in the eclectic appropriation of classical, early medieval, and Renaissance models for the legislature. Such choices demonstrated his disdain for indigenous tradition. We'll see a little bit later that disdain for indigenous is kind of like, you know... Um, Fuck the Indians. Exactly. So, But that did get him off on the right foot, and soon enough, he was like a big name in design in Canada. He was designing mansions, memorials, hotels, train stations. He became the architect for the Canadian Pacific Railway. I mean, he was big. I had seen more than one reference to him being the Frank Lloyd Wright of Canada. Which is interesting when what comes up later comes up at the very end. But yeah, I, I would say that that would be, as far as famous architects go, 
yes, probably. As far as innovation goes, no. Because Frank Lloyd Wright was a huge innovator, and it just seems like it just seems like Rattenberry just keeps on dipping in the same well. Um, which, if that's what you're good at, then get good. You know, like do what you're good at. If you're not good at innovation, don't innovate. You know, <laughs> like little side note: Frankie, distant cousin of mine. Seriously? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That so, is awesome. The the famous people that I'm related to are a group of executioners in France. <laughs> uh, a few that's on my dad's side uh, on my mom's side I'm related to one of the people that came over on the Mayflower uh, I am related to the Wright brothers and Frank Lloyd Wright wow damn wow yeah yeah I don't have too many of those I just have like John Quincy Adams maybe we're we're talking John like, Adams John Adams I'm more closely related to the Wright brothers than I am Frank Lloyd Wright. With Frank Lloyd, we're talking like 30th, 40th cousin. You know, it's it's a real Kevin Bacon situation going on there. But some of those genetics do go through me. Hmm. That is fascinating. And I, I think Frank Lloyd Wright should be very grateful that he has some of mine. Fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, Rattenberry was also dipping his toes in some other waters. He liked to do some investing in 1898 as the, you know, there was some gold rush stuff going on. He uh, invested in a scheme to supply prospectors via steamships. And that did make some money until it shuttered in 1899. But by then he moved on to acting as the Canadian agent for the Arctic Express Company, which was an American transportation company. And he was in that position for years. So he was known to be, quote, ruthless and aggressive in, in all these fields, in architecture and in his investments and business and all that. He was known to be kind of... he went after what he wanted and he would stop at nothing to get it or almost nothing. So that was also the decade that he got married on the 18th of June, 1898. He married Florence Eleanor Nunn. That's Nunn with two N's. They got married in Victoria and they would go on to have two kids, a son, Francis, in January of 1899, and a daughter, Mary, in 1904. And if you look at the months there, Francis must have been a little, a little premature, you know, mm -hmm. what I'm saying. He's <laughs> a little tiny little munchkin potato. Oh, he's got a one in three chance of living. Well, I, I think he wasn't actually premature i think he, he was right to term but he had been conceived a little while before the marriage which oh, is fine who's a you little know bastard but was not looked on as fine back then and the uh the dictionary of canadian biography put it this way quote the marriage was more a matter of appearance than affection end quote your mommy's a little whore she's a trip <laughs> i'm fucking trolling yes, your dad can't keep it in his pants good <laughs> you're whoremonger <laughs> so, uh, for another 10 or so years-ish, he was a premier architect. And then, as we said earlier, that training of architects actually being more formalized became more the norm. So you have these better and more officially trained architects that are coming on the scene and they're up and coming. And he doesn't, 
you know, like I said, he's not one for innovation. He just keeps dipping in that same well. He doesn't bother to, you know, like try new techniques and try to learn new things. He doesn't expand his repertoire of, of different styles that he uses. No, he just keeps doing the same thing. And, you know, trends pass. And what's what's exciting now isn't exciting in 10 years. So World War One came around and at the time he did have a lot of projects on the line. And pretty much since a lot of the money the government's money was going to go towards the war uh, that kind of torpedoed a lot of his projects. <laughs> Torpedo war. <laughs> yeah. People died. I may have done that on purpose. Uh, he, he did try to enlist, but he was 46 and the army was like, you're too old, bud. So none of that. Uh, that gives me a good feeling inside. He's 46 and the army wouldn't take him even for like cannon fodder. Oh, yeah. I'm 46. <laughs> there you go. I can't. Now, I, I joined you at war, guys. But I can't. They won't let me. <laughs> I'll be home boning your wives. <laughs> After the war, he kind of started getting into it with the government. There was this whole bunch of crap that happened. He had basically bought some land um, which ended up uh, displacing some First Nations people in 1907. He didn't care about that. Uh, that didn't really bother him at all, but I mean, he was just going to make some money off of it, develop it and everything. But after the war, the province wanted to place uh, war veterans in, in rural areas and made up like a, a whole scheme to do this. And so they grabbed up some of his property uh, cheap from him through a, a government act. And this did not help his company. That the, the company that was specifically created to deal with this land situation, it was liquidated in 1919. He did have some litigation against the government. I don't know how that went because I'm sorry. I, uh, I love all of our listeners. But even for our listeners, I will not read Canadian legal documents from the 1920s. Just won't do it. Can't do it. He pretty much completely closed up shop in 1927. Now, in addition to his career not going well, his personal life is... Well, his marriage isn't doing great. Uh, we'll say that for his personal life. Uh, they're both, at this point, living in different wings of the house. They never go out in public together. And um, in the 20s, he really... I wish I had a different wing that I could avoid my husband in. Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> I'd be in it right now. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't always work. I speak from experience. I think I would enjoy it. Or having a house so big that I could actually hide. It doesn't always work. I speak from experience. <laughs> <laughs> this is in Scott's wheelhouse. Ah, house. Sorry. <laughs> it's two puns in one episode. I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, You're on fire. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> So, yeah, and then the, the marriage isn't going well, and the government is struggling to recover. So he's not getting many commissions, not just because of the government, but also because he was having an affair. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> so he met Elma Victoria Pakenham on December 29th, 1923. He was 56 and she was 27. 
Uh, Alma, she grew up in a rather like musical family. Her mother was a musical instructor and she, she really showed like great promise and, and eventually became like a child prodigy in music. A, an instructor said she was, quote, brilliantly clever, well-adjusted and full of happiness and music, end quote. And no, that wasn't her mother, the instructor. <laughs> that was in a, somebody with less bias. So. <laughs> age seven the family moved to victoria and that's when she kind of became a child prodigy she would play and compose songs on both violin and piano then the family kind of moves back and forth between toronto and vancouver and it seems like she's she's performing and playing music and making songs she's growing up uh, in currents magazine paula collie said quote she also grew into a glamorous carefree beauty that loved parties wore fashionable clothes drank cocktails and smoked in public end quote holy fuck wow that hussy that slut i bet she votes too (laughs) right whore she did marry this name this name caledon robert radcliffe doling well didn't she now she did at age 19, and this was during the war, during World War One. He was in the army, and he deployed to England. She followed him, but in 1916, after less than two years of marriage, he was killed in action at the Battle of the Somme. And after that, she jumped right into action. I think she needed a distraction from, from her grief. She... Oh, hopped up and joined a Scottish ambulance unit. And it was one that she was like, okay, they're going to be at the French lines. That's where I want to be. She would see a lot of action and she was awarded the Croix de Guerre uh, with star and palm. Why is half of it in French and the other half is in, in English? The war ended and she did remarry to a Captain Compton Packenham. My God, she marries the- fuck is up with all these names today? I know, right? Rattenberry, Packingham, Jesus fucking Christ. And we're going to get a stoner later on in there. Yep. Jesus Christ. Uh, My Lady of Dildoshire, who I'm sure will be (laughs) around shortly. Oh, probably. And her German cousin, Der Latex Wiener Schnitzel. (laughs) So... That didn't really work out. They did move to America together. Um, they had a son together, Christopher, and then the marriage pretty much fell apart not very long after. So she takes her son and hops back to Vancouver, goes back to where and what she knows. And what she knows also is performing and music, which is how she ends up at the Empress Hotel in Victoria, which is Rattenberry's latest hotel that he designed. Uh, having a drink after a performance, and that's how she met him there. He was, I believe, they were, I didn't write it down, but I believe they were celebrating him, Uh, you know, like having designed. (laughs) Three cheers to me. I'm awesome. Ah. I I regularly throw parties to celebrate myself. God, (laughs) well, you're fucking awesome, and you deserve it. This dude's last name is Rattenberry. Fuck him. (laughs) We're forgiving on the name front, are we? No, Um, no. I got some problems. I've got some problems with my own last name. Fuck me. (laughs) So she once wrote to a friend about their relationship. Quote, 
Though I had resolved, as you know, never to marry again, but to devote myself to my music. Well, my dear, if I don't love him, I simply don't know what love is. End quote. And, and that's a real possibility. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's entirely a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say so. Considering everything, essentially. Everything. Now, Rattenberry is gearing up to divorce uh, Florence, who uh, went by Flory. <laughs> because. What the fuck? Flory? Flory Rattenberry. What a horrible nickname. Like Flo. Just three letters. Simple. Flo Rattenberry. That would have been fun. But Flory? Jesus Christ. From now on, Amber's new nickname, Ambery. <laughs> Christy's Don't. new nickname, Christy. Wait. Christy, Don't you do it, Scott. I'm not going to fucking do it. I'm not going to fucking do Scottery. I kind of like I, that. I actually have a coworker that always tries to give me a nickname, and he's been stuck on Burr, which just <laughs> irritates me. Like, <laughs> like, that's not even good. Like, make something up. Like, <laughs> Burr. Yeah, I don't like it at all. No. I don't, I don't like it. No, not a fan. Mm-mm. Nope. Just so, keep uh, thinking of Aaron Burr for some reason. Right? Somebody who was not a fan of uh, something was Flory, and she was not a fan of divorcing her husband. That's uh, that ruthlessness and aggressiveness that we talked about. That's uh, where it's coming up. Coming out hard. Oh my god. This got kind of vicious. <laughs> he got a moving truck. He's like, well, you don't want to let me divorce you? Fine. I'll just take everything out of the freaking house. And he starts having furniture hauled out the front door while the, you know, the men load it. And then Flory and her servant grab the furniture and sneak it around back and back into the house through the back door. The entire <gasps> time the Benny Hill theme is playing. Yes, very much. It's very Benny Hill. I love it. It, it better be. Yeah. Th- at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, Rattenberry's like, at some point I'm going to call him Rattenham. I'm just going to say that. I don't know why, um, but I, I stop using his full name and start calling it, abbreviating it to rats with two T's. So for some reason, Rattenham might come up at some point. Just know that I'm obviously referring to Rattenberry. And I, I have him listed in my notes as Ratty. <laughs> ratty rat rat. Ratty rat rat. Ratty rat rat. So ratty rat rat. He's like, okay, you want to stay? Fine. You can stay here and you can be cold and in the dark because he had the heat and the power to the house shut off. That's cold. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And dark. (laughs) That's three to three and a half, I would say. (gasps) Now, this was not kept under wraps. This all became public. And the public knew about the affair because Alma wasn't shy about it. And they're not really thrilled with his morals here. But Rattenberry, he is, his campaign to get his divorce is continuing. Nonetheless, he starts having Alma over to the house, sometimes for sleepovers. Aww. Yeah. Make some hot cocoa. And we're going to watch Netflix all night long. Absolutely. And well, they would also get drunk and she would jam out on the piano. And one time this is happening and his daughter, Mary, still had children in the house while he's doing this, or at least one child comes down and is like, look, 
this is really bad for my mom's health. You're not, you know, helping her. You're, you're, this is, she's getting sick because of this. And so Alma's reaction is to play the funeral march. Fuck you, Alma. That, that's a little, that's a little on the bitchy side. I mean, you're in this woman's house and you, you've taken her husband that, you know, like, that's not a great marriage, but whatever, but still. So finally, 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 after all of this stuff, Flory has had enough and she grants the divorce. It goes through on January 28th, 1925. And then actually Flory would die in 1929 at 59 years old. And her kids were just uh, 30 and 25. So she didn't didn't last very much longer in her freedom. It seemed that she was probably in ill health. So then it doesn't take uh, Rattenberry and Alma very long to make it official. They marry on April 8th, 1925, just a couple months after the divorce. And then they have a son together. But they are society pariahs, essentially, because, like we said, everybody knows about all this stuff. Even his kids won't talk to him. Both of their careers take a complete nosedive. So they're like, all right. We got a GTFO. We cannot be here anymore. We can't make any money here. Literally, everybody hates us. Uh, so let's start fresh somewhere. So they do. They move in the early 30s to Bournemouth, England. Now, this is a beach town in the south of England. And I have some pub names. For I you. knew it. More pub names. <laughs> I fucking I knew it. Okay. And I also have some knowledge to drop. So okay. get ready. All right. All right. All right, so pubs in Bournemouth. The goat and tricycle. Lots of goats. Which one to ride? <laughs> this one, um, Scott, this one's for you. The Firkin Shed. That's F-I-R-K-I-N. I could stand a little Firkin right now. The girlfriend's very <laughs> far away from me, and, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm being faithful here. But honestly, I could stand a little Firkin, but I'm only wanting Firkin from her. Well, <laughs> see, see if she'll meet you at the Firkin Shed. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The Moon in the Square, which is actually a department store from like the 20s or 30s, converted into a pub, and it looks like a department store, but but converted into a pub. Like it's very much that, but it seems really cool. Like I I would want to go there. It's like, um, are you being served, but with more alcohol? Yeah, yeah. The Commodore. Ooh. <laughs> the Four Horsemen. Eh. Not going there right now. <laughs> And that, that's not too far away from the Inferno. Jesus. <laughs> and then finally, the King's Arms. Now, mm. we have seen this so much in the British pub names. The arms showing up. The King's Arms, the Queen's Arms, etc. Michelle Obama's arms. <laughs> Michelle Obama's arms. I was actually, I'm not thinking like arms, like arms to hold someone in. I'm thinking of like the weaponry. Okay, not that, but you're close. You're, you're closer than arms to hold something with. Heraldic arms, coat of arms. Yeah, the weaponry. No, like, no, not like shooting with or, or fighting. That's that's like an like the arms you'd find in an armory. I'm talking about a coat of arms. Like there might be maybe some weaponry on a coat of arms, but there's other stuff too, like you know, a lion or some shit. You know, see cars and. Whenever I look at a coat of arms, and maybe that's because the Mort family coat of arms is just one of the most death metal badass things you will ever see. Um, but whenever I think coat of arms, 
I'm looking at a shield design with weaponry on it. Well, sure, but it was also like the family crest, essentially, mm-hmm. you know. You know, there might be weaponry on it, but there might be many, many other things. Like heraldry can have, you know, like it could be it could be weaponry, it could be a dove, you know. So but okay, so the reasoning is that uh literacy rates not super high when some of these pubs were established. So you would need to have your sign be something that could be visual and easily recognized. So the king's arms would be, they would put up the king's coat of arms as the sign, and everybody knows to go down to the king's arms. It, the goat and the tricycle, if it was from back then, uh, you know, from back when they were naming pubs in this manner to help the illiterate find them, might have had a picture of a goat and a tricycle on its sign hanging outside. Um, I don't know about the firkin shed. I'm imagining that's that's gotta be a new one. Um, the four horsemen, four horsemen on it there you go so yeah that's something that i really didn't ever think about is the 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 signs have to be pictures because of the literacy rate and if it's arms the pictures were you know of a coat of arms and everybody would probably know the king's coat of arms you know so so yeah there there is your knowledge i was uh found that i think i'm pretty sure in some random thread on reddit and then like an idiot did not save it or screenshot it so thank you to Whoever random the random editor? person was. <laughs> yes, random Redditor, I think, in the history subreddit. Uh, so. A murder so incompetent, it took nine people to successfully commit it. And yet, they would have gotten off scot-free if not for one mayor who took a first stab at crime scene investigation. A young woman whose heinous crime would have gone utterly unpunished if not for a chemist. And a clever kitchen maid. How forensics was used during the Salem Witch Trials. Check out these cases and more with me, Christy Baxter, as we explore the history of forensic science on Detectives by the Decade. From pseudoscience to junk science to, well, actual science, from toxicology to trace evidence, from the evolution of the detective to DNA, eventually. And so, so much more. We look at the cases, the scientists, the detectives, and the criminals to find out how forensic science came to be. New episodes every Thursday, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so back to the newly minted Rattenberries, the second. They go to Bournemouth and they live in uh, the Villa Madeira, which is a little house. It's not anything big and fancy like his house back in British Columbia, which he had designed. I'm pretty sure. Tyler Um, Perry is such a genius. (laughs) Yeah. Wait. Oh, okay. All right. The the Madeira. (laughs) Took took me a second. Madeira's family Christmas. (laughs) Uh, look i just i just say the jokes and if anybody laughs that's fine if not i edit it out later (laughs) because you have that power i do alma does manage to kickstart a career there but that is not the case for old rat here old ratsy so she's making music and going out shopping and that's basically her life and he's just staying home drinking and contemplating suicide 
That's what I call Saturday. <laughs> they're not. Uh, they're not sleeping together anymore, and there is some talk that maybe he's actually impotent. He's also lost a lot of his hearing, and financially, they're not doing super great. So once again, we have these separate lives that they're living. He's sleeping downstairs and she's sleeping upstairs. And Alma is also, she's picking up the bottle some and so possibly snorting the powder. So you get the alcohol and the drugs in there. There may have been some domestic abuse. Uh, at one point, a doctor reported having been summoned to the house. Alma had a black eye and Rattenberry was most distressed. So they had been there for a little while when Rattenberry was like, you know what? I am sick and tired of driving. We should hire a chauffeur. So he put an ad in the Bournemouth Echo, quote, daily willing lad, 14 to 18 for housework, scout training preferred, end quote. The Bournemouth Echo then also put in a second ad that was exactly the same thing a week later. (laughs) I didn't get that one. The Echo? Oh, God. Jesus, I'm so (laughs) slow. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's been a weird day. It has. It has. Yeah. So, enter George Percy Stoner. He had been... Really, we don't know a ton, ton about him, but he had been a loner as a kid. He never really dated. Uh, He was born and bred in, in Bournemouth. His father said, quote... He, one could not wish for a better boy. He was not a boy to go out at all. He was rather keen on staying in, rather reserved, end quote. He'd be doing great right about now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was glad to find a quote where somebody else said this, where it was, it was phrased in a way that I could say it. In Monte Cristo magazine, Jesse Donaldson said that it seemed that, from all reports, Stoner was, quote, emotional and not particularly bright. End quote. But he could drive and he could do handyman stuff. So uh, he was hired by the Rattenberries uh, at 17 in September 1934. Within a few months, he's living in the spare room and is Alma's lover. And yeah, he is 17. And he's having this affair with this married woman in her house. Her husband has a good, what, at this point, 50 years on him? <laughs> Like, holy crap. This is a scenario right here. Oh, man. I'm sure that this is going to end peacefully with everybody happy and alive and healthy. I just love this planet because we know it's not. Yeah. So, yeah, Alma, he's her lover. It's pretty much the narrative seems to be that she, you know, seduced him and talked him into an affair. They would take overnights together. She bombarded him with presence and Rattenberry was just kind of accepting it he told her quote live your life as if I had already gone end quote but ah, jealousy was kind of simmering under the surface there stoner it's so weird to say his name he could not stand at any time Alma and Rattenberry spend time together he flips out whenever that happens he's very jealous of her relationship with her husband um distant as it is so alma tries to break it off here and there but every time he freaks the hell out he'll go into a total rage and one time he even attempts to strangle her now 
a side note, a little something. This is a bad, bad sign. This is a huge red flag. Horrible, bad, bad sign. According to the Training Institute on Strangulation Prevention, quote, a woman who has suffered a non-fatal strangulation incident with her intimate partner is 750% more likely to be killed by the same perpetrator with a gun. End quote. Uh, so, the so, wait a minute. There's a strangulation institute? Because of the fact that it is a huge precursor to... I Domestic violence ending in murder. Uh, that, that's my point. I want people to realize what a bad problem this is. There isn't like an institute for stubbing your toe real late at night on the nightstand whenever you're going to the bathroom at 4.30 in the morning. There's a fucking institute for strangulation. Yes, yes. Because, according to the National Institute of Justice, victims who've been choked are ten times more likely to be murdered. So I wanted to get that out there. If you are in any sort of, you know, like danger, especially if you've been strangled, there is help out there. The hotline.org is a website you can use. They have a, a chat function on their website, although uh, incognito mode is your friend. And their number is uh, 1-800-799-SAFE, like safe, uh, so 1-800-799-7233. Or uh, if you're hard of hearing, the... Is that the correct PC term? I don't know anymore. 1-800-787-3224. So, yeah. There's your options, and you should probably take them because uh, that's some scary shit right there. So, just had to do my little public service announcement mm -hmm. <laughs> because as soon as I saw the strangulation, like, I knew the statistics on that, and I was like, I don't know if everybody does. That's and some we, fucking scary statistics. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah it absolutely yeah. is. So, um, yeah, this, this is not going well here. And Stoner 2 had gotten on to Coke. So Stoner's doing the Coke. All right. <laughs> Why not? It's a party. Yeah, it's for quite the party. Stoner and Alma go off for one of their London overnights. They come back, and Rattenberry is even more depressed than usual. So Alma's like, well, I'll take him on a little trip to visit a friend, and um, I'll cheer him up. And it's also going to be a potential business trip. You know, there's, there's more to it. So uh, this is on March 24th, 1935. This relationship has been going on since about the previous November. Uh, Rattenberry and Alma have a chat about their relationship and about her affair with Stoner and may have actually had sex, but it's uncertain. But nonetheless, Stoner knows that when they go on their trip, they're going to be sleeping in the same room. So he freaks out on her about this. She manages to get him to chill out by promising that they'll have separate rooms. And then she goes off to pack for the trip. Meanwhile, Rattenberry is in the study. So Alma finishes packing and she goes to bed and Stoner comes to join her a little bit later. And uh, about an hour later, it's said that she around 9.30, 10-ish, she went to bed. Uh, he came in at 10.30, 11-ish. And then, or no, he came in soon after. And then, so 10.30, 11, something like that. So there were some groans from downstairs and that wakes Alma up. She goes down to check on Rattenberry, and he's sitting in his chair. His head is all bloody. Uh, he is slumping. 
and she checks him out and the wounds are pretty bad so he ends up at the hospital she is, just assumes he fell it was an accident something like that and so does everybody else until they clean up his head and the doctors are like oh this was not an accident no 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 i like to think one of the doctors went wait a minute this was murder <laughs> he's not dead I yet <laughs> yeah, I hope, hope, hope that happened. But yes, he is not dead yet, in fact. Well, spoilers. <laughs> but uh, they do call the, the, the doctors call the police who head out to the villa uh, early Monday morning, where Alma is utterly trashed. She had been drinking and doing drugs all night, and she just keeps on saying she'd done him in. So she is arrested for attempted murder. By Wednesday, Stoner had spilled the beans to the housekeeper. He's like, I did it. It was me. And so the housekeeper goes to the police and the police arrest him on attempted murder. And then on Thursday, Rattenberry dies, which is what takes the attempted out of attempted murder. So it's straight flat out homicide. The weapon police found was a wooden mallet. Stoner had needed to do some work around the villa that he needed a mallet for. His parents had one, so he borrowed theirs. So that's a little incriminating. Mm-hmm. Now, Alma goes back and forth here. At first, she's like, yes, I did it. Uh, he was constantly making suicide threats, and I was getting tired of it. And then we were playing cards, and he dared me to, to hit him. And uh, she is quoted as saying, quote, I did it deliberately. I would do it again and quote and yeah this is even more shit quote i picked up a mallet and he said you have not guts enough to do it i then hit him with the mallet and hit it outside the house i would have shot him if i had had a gun end quote shit indeed so then her son comes to see her in jail and visit with her and she's like never mind i'm innocent Uh, i was asleep And then Stoner woke me up and he just said that he had, quote, hurt rats. So even they, like, he called her, like, did she call her husband rats, do you think? Her lover Mm -hmm. certainly did. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's just a weird thing, you know? So this becomes quite the topic of a lot of scuttlebutt in the press. So they can't try it locally. So they go off to London to the Old Bailey. And it's about a hundred miles away. Now, remember, she's uh, she's she's a songstress, so she is in jail, and she does what she does. She writes a song for him that will later be published as Mrs. Rattenberry's prison song. And I did read one source that said it was broadcast by the BBC while she was in jail. Well, yeah, that's some that's some fame. I mean, it, it's going about it the wrong way, but. I, I should say so. Jesus. Yeah. Although I think I found a way to get the numbers up on the podcast listenership. There you go. <laughs> Who Christy. knew all we needed to do to get our murder podcast listenership up was, you know, like, be part of a murder case. Christy, you seem like you're too in love with Jackson to do anything. Uh, Amber? <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I'll visit you in prison at least once a year. <laughs> Dude, a true crime podcast where one of the hosts is in prison? 
Yes, please, and thank you. <laughs> you know what, though? I don't think they'd let me keep doing the show because you're not allowed to have things like laptops. I don't there know. is Somehow in, Chris um, Hansen gets away with it. <laughs> in California, there's a person that actually has a like media production kind of thing going on, and they actually have a podcast coming out from that. Oh, really? It, and an, uh, I might be confusing that with something else because I only listen, I listened to one episode. It was really good, but um, mm, okay, I cannot remember what the name of it was. Never mind, edit all that out. <laughs> oh, it's gonna drive me crazy. Um, so yeah, the <laughs> it's the you're my bitch now podcast. No, it was seriously, <laughs> it was really really good, and they had an episode that was oh, it was. An episode that was aired on Criminal. That's right. That's where I heard it. I, th I think they episode aired an episode on Criminal because it's from the same production company. Um, and yeah, they had an, an episode that was about this uh, this guy in the prison who he keeps... He's, he's always been a lover of animals, so he keeps um, all kinds of uh, critters that he can find in the in the actual, you know, whatever bugs or rodents he can find in the, in the prison. He, he keeps them, so it was very sweet. He's um, in prison keeping animals in prison. I mean, kind of, yeah. So. All right, back to the Rattenberry case. Sorry for that diversion that didn't actually get us anywhere at all. Uh, sometimes I like to just skip down the garden path. So, yes, they both plead not guilty, and they are tried together. Now, Alma, she goes whole hog on her defense. She's like, I only confess to protect Stoner, and Stoner is just completely silent. He doesn't, his counsel says, well, he was hooked on coke and he did it. He was under the influence and that's what made him, you know, murder someone. The trial takes four days. And really, it's, it depends on which source you read, who the public sided with. There's one that's very staunch that everyone was on Alma's side. And then there's another that says that she was booed leaving the courtroom the day of the conviction. Not her conviction, because she was acquitted, but Stoner's conviction, he was found guilty. The jury recommends mercy after being out for 53 minutes, but he is sentenced to be... Okay, wouldn't it be kind of ironically funny if it was stoned to death? <laughs> <laughs> it would be. So, but that was not it. He was sentenced to be hanged, and she goes to absolute pieces and faints in the courtroom. Um, yeah, and then she, when she's leaving the courtroom, she's booed that that, that day. So it seems it seems like it's up in the air who the public liked. Now, this is uh, this is where it gets a little rough for Elma. She goes to Christchurch a few days later, and she stabs herself in the chest six times. She manages to get herself in the heart on three of those. And then she either falls or throws herself into the river, really probably. Only the farmer who saw her do it could tell us because he tried to grab her, but she got away from him and, uh, and managed to uh, commit suicide. And there were several, there were many notes found on her, in, in her purse. She had been like writing just nonstop since leaving the, the trial and everything. And I've got some snippets from those. They're definitely out of order. So it, th take that into consideration, I guess. But, quote, If I only thought it would help Stoner, I would stay on. But it has been pointed out to me all too vividly that I cannot help him. This is my death sentence. End quote. Uh, second one is, Every night and every minute is only prolonging the appalling agony of my mind. 
And then a final one, it must be easier to be hanged than to have to do the job oneself. One must be bold to do a thing like this. It is beautiful here, and I am alone. Thank God for peace at last. I gotta say, it is pretty easy to be hung. I mean, you just let somebody... (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Alma was 39, um, and, you know, she had... She had so much promise, I really think, but also just let her personal life destroy that. So we can't blame her uh, 100% because definitely, you know, Stoner had some culpability there. And her housekeeper and companion, who is the same person that Stoner confessed to, so this poor woman's been, you know, run through the ringer, uh, she had to identify the body. um, And the public uh, really turns to supporting Stoner. They collect over 320,000 signatures for a petition to commute his sentence, even collecting them at Alma's funeral. Fuck. Yeah, that was attended by 3,000 people, mostly women, it said, and she was buried near her husband. And sure enough, the petition actually works. I've never known a petition to actually work, you guys. This is, like, stunning to me. The sentence was commuted to penal servitude for life. Go ahead and laugh, Scott. Uh, <laughs> and <Amber>. um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, And that happens less than a month after his conviction. And then in 1942, he's been in for seven years and he's let out. And he goes to fight in World War II. After the war, he goes to live in his parents' house and just lives a, a pretty quiet life. Uh, and it seems, okay, I want to preface this by there, there may have been a reason that, that uh, we can go to for this. But uh, in 1990, he was found in a public bathroom with a 12-year-old boy and Stoner was naked. He's convicted of indecent assault, but there is a possibility he may have been suffering from Alzheimer's. So now he died in Christchurch Hospital in 2000 at age 83. It was the 65th anniversary of Francis Rattenberry's murder. And he died also. Alma had killed herself about a half a mile from that hospital. So pretty kind of creepy how that all that tangle all kind of comes together it it kind of goes back I, I know that there's not a whole lot uh, of proof for all of it but it kind of goes back to that whole there's almost like a paranormal thing going on that like hey here you go you know it's there's a little bit of creepiness there you know that it's almost like some otherworldly intervention to make this happen yeah um I am looking to see the distance from Bournemouth to Christchurch. Um, cause I'm curious. Uh, it's only, they're only six miles apart, so it doesn't seem like it's... If, if there is some sort of paranormal intervention here, it's, it's, it's not a, a huge one. It's just that people, you know, stayed in that area, you know. Like, right, their and, whole lives. Yeah. So, we don't know much about the other children. They, you know, most of them have died. One remains, and that is John Rattenberry, who was the son of Alma and Francis Rattenberry, who went on to become an architect himself. He was only five or so when his father was killed, and he would go on to work with Scott's relation, 
Frank Lloyd Wright. Aha. And even completed Wright's last unfinished residential project, the Likes House in Phoenix, after Wright died. And I could not find a grave on Find Grave uh, or an obituary anywhere. So I'm assuming he's still alive. He would be 91. So good age. Do you guys, yeah, yeah. Do you guys have? There's actually an interview with him on YouTube. Like we can actually see an interview with the son of one of our victims on YouTube. That's like a first. I'm pretty sure that's never happened. A little creepy. Not gonna lie. It's, Definitely. And he brings it up right from the beginning of the interview. Like they asked, how did you get interested in architecture? And he's like, well, my dad was murdered. So, um, you <laughs> that's know, a little, little part of it. Murder. Um, <laughs> murder. Yeah. That's how everybody gets into architecture, obviously, you know, Absolutely. so yeah, um, that is what I have on Francis Rattenberry, George Percy Stoner and Alma Packenham Rattenberry, maybe probably. Do you guys, did I miss anything? You guys have anything? You got it. You got it good? You got it? I got it. Hey, hey, hey. So, yeah, that was definitely um, interesting. All right. So, I feel I feel like nobody was a winner uh, in, that, in that whole scenario. Nobody, I mean, and in many of our stories, it's very rare that we have a winner, but it just felt like doomed from the very beginning. Why the fuck didn't Stoner move away? Why would you stay in an area where everybody is fairly certain you did it? I think he probably needed the support of his parents. Uh, you think he'd have some money left over from fighting the war. I mean, we don't pay our soldiers that much, and they didn't probably didn't pay their soldiers that much. Yeah, I'd... Well, when he came back, though, he moved into his parents' house that he left when he was 18. Yeah. So, so I don't only, know if it was a psychological thing or the only places he he lived outside of whatever you know like places he went when he was in the army were his parents' house, the Rattenberry's house, prison, and then his parents' house. I like how you threw that prison. Yeah, prison, of course. So yeah, all right going to do my spiel here real quick before we talk about what we're doing for I guess the rest of the weekend since it's Saturday random recording uh, don't forget uh, listen to the tiny and go forth and find weird news in old timey newspapers it is fun it is a weird hobby but I would really love to see what you guys come up with and you can email them to oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com and the links for that will be I'll put a link in this this episode's show notes too and they'll also be on our social media you know what we haven't brought up in a while or Amazon wish list. Mm. It's just sitting there. Um, if you're interested in a particular case and there is a book on it, uh, you can check out our Amazon wish list. In all of our social media, there's a link tree link, and the Amazon wish list is uh, on that. So that's that's how you can find it. Um, if there is a book about a, a case that you're interested in and it's not on there just email us or social media whatever and we'll put it on the list uh, but yeah you can buy us a book um, and we'll do a deep dive on that case and credit you so that is definitely uh, something you can do to help us out other things you can do to help us out check out the patreon patreon.com slash old timey crimey uh, we have many many uh, old tinies up there that we have done and we have a couple other potential bonuses for you. I'm, again, still looking at revamping, but uh, I haven't, we haven't gotten around to it yet because procrastination is the best. Um, 
It's so easy to do. It is. And uh, remember, you can leave us a buck on the nightstand or 50 cents. Uh, Oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com on paypal.com. And we will shout you the frick out on this show. Uh, and then also social media, oldtimeycrimey on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So that is my bullshit. Um, same orders before, I guess. Amber, what you doing this weekend? Um, not a whole lot of anything, really. We have a uh, double gymnastics practice this week because uh, we we missed one because of overtime. So, uh, uh, yeah, not a whole lot though. Scott, what you got? I'm cleaning. I <laughs> live such a boring life. I'm going to be cleaning and I'm going to be talking to my girlfriend. And uh, yeah, I tried to watch Star Trek Lower Decks. But that TV show feels like uh, I'm in hell. It <laughs> feels like I'm honestly being punished for some sort of weird crime against humanity. And it's just like, I got through the first episode and I started the second. And I went, you know, Scott, you don't really have to put yourself through this. You weren't the one that murdered all those people. It was Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler deserves to watch Star Trek Lower Decks. I don't need to. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I'm not super no, excited. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna continue our couch couch hunting, um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I am. We we got takeout on our anniversary from the Rosebud, uh, and we have we got a whole bunch of stuff that so just kind of like stock up on on food. So I, I am starving, and there is a crab cake with my name on it. So I'm super excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gonna do that, and then probably gonna go sit on some couches. Um, so yeah, that is what we're up to this weekend, and we hope that you have uh, a fabulous weekend. This will come out on Friday, so we go all weekends ahead of you. And yeah, thank you for listening. As always, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our filthy words. We'll see you next week. Bye. This felt weird. It did. It really did. <laughs> <laughs> My sources this week are uh, the Dictionary of Canadian Biography, Find a Grave, Paula Cully in Currents Magazine, Wikipedia, dorsetlife.co.uk, Jesse Donaldson in Monte Cristo Magazine, Stavrik Ketchmark on the Strangulation Training Institute, and John Mackey on the Vancouver Sun. My sources for this week's episode are murderpedia.org, dorsetlife.co.uk wikipedia.org and murderuk.com My sources this week are dorsetlife.com julianburnside.com California Digital Newspaper Collection and Murderpedia <laughs> <laughs>